I per- I feel like we should be given a chance to become citizens or like at least have um, status in the U.S. because we pretty much do everything a legal citizen would be doing except for voting. So there should be like a path to citizenship that doesn't really take as long as as it currently does or having that option of just like marrying someone who is a citizen. So I feel like if um, the government or and like the community or something that's like influential for DACA recipients, like if something could be done to help us gain that um, that status, that would be very like beneficial for like everyone who's a DACA recipient. And there's there's about like seven hundred thousand of us. Uh, that those are just like students, and I believe there's like one point six million people who are DACA recipients themselves. up everybody welcome to the show this is a very special episode because i want to share a story with you it's a story about shakti patel an immigrant from zambia who now lives and works in california here's the thing though he's been here since he was five years old and he's a legal resident here his status is called being a daca recipient In this interview, Shakti and I talk about how he came to the U.S. and all the challenges of being a DACA recipient. He's an incredibly talented and motivated young man who is applying to medical school, and one day he will become a doctor. But like over a million other people, he is here in this country as a legal resident with no clear path to citizenship, and he's making a real impact here. He volunteers for the American Red Cross. He is involved in Future Physician Leadership Program in San Bernardino. And he's a health scholar at Cope Health Solutions. This is a very special episode because tomorrow is November 6th, and that means it's the midterm elections, probably one of the most important midterm elections of my lifetime. We see a nation divided like I've never seen before. And what I hope you can take away from Shakti's story is that there are over a million people in this country who are here legally and do not have the right to be citizens and don't have the right to vote. I'm going to stop on that note and let you listen to my interview with Shakti Patel. Hey, how you doing? Welcome to the... Here we are. We've been talking about this for a long time. Yeah. Finally doing it. So uh, thanks so much for agreeing to uh, to be on the show. Yeah, no problem. It's my pleasure. Yeah, it's good to have you. Um, tell, um, so tell, tell, tell me just... Uh, a little bit about you know who you are and what you're doing right now. So um, I recently graduated from uh, UC Riverside with a degree in biology, um, and currently um, I'm trying to apply to med school, and I'm taking a year or two years off trying to get my GPA and do some more extracurricular activities to amp up my resume and applications. So I'm taking a couple of classes at a community college right now. Um, as a mini uh, do-it-yourself postback program, and then in January I start a formal postback program in San Francisco, which is a year-long program um, where I just take upper division bio classes, and then at the end of it, um, the postback community will write me a letter of recommendation that I can use for medical school. 
um, and I'm currently shadowing you, Dr. Mulek, um, and uh, trying to get into more volunteer positions. Um, I'm volunteering with the American Red Cross as well, so that's been interesting. Um, and yeah. And so this is the first year uh, after college, right? Yes. So are you about are you 23 years old? Uh, or? 22. I just turned 22. 22 in October. Okay. Yeah. And that's about the right age for people that are just finishing college are about 22. Yeah. Did you always know that you wanted to be a doctor? I did. Um, I think growing up in a family that uh, pers- like uh, pushed me towards like a medical path like heavily influenced my decision in becoming a doctor. Um, I think it's because um, when I grew up in Africa, um, I used to like go around um, to different villages with my dad, and I used to see all these. Uh, I used to see poverty and like illnesses and sicknesses within all these people. And I was, I was at an age where I couldn't do anything to help them, but what I could do was like give them like food, water, blankets, stuff like that, just to, like aid them. And since then, I was kind of inspired to become like uh, someone who could be able to help them, like maybe through um, Doctors Without Borders, like go out to different countries and help people, yeah. or just like work in a hospital environment and help the people who I can. Yeah. I love that. I love Dutchers. I worked with Dutchers Up Borders, so yeah. I, had, I was a, it was a similar way for me. Um, now, you, and you said you had grown up in Africa, is that yes. right? Okay, and then um, and so when did you come to the U.S.? So, or no, sorry, what country were you? Um, in Zambia, um, okay, in the city of Mandola, actually. Okay, so that's like South Africa, right? Yeah, and and then how old were you when you came to the U.S.? Uh, I was about five, so I. Attended preschool in Africa, actually, and then I moved here and started kindergarten and continued all the way till college. Okay, and what was that like tra- transitioning in? Um, for me, I was at such a young age that I didn't realize what was happening. Mm-hmm. So it was fairly easy for me to like move from Africa to um, the U.S. But I feel like the U.S. had a lot more amended. Um, like, more, more things that they offered, whereas Africa, like, didn't. Because I remember um, in preschool, I just, I used to play in the dirt, like, with sticks, and, like, we didn't, we didn't really have toys and, and all these leisures that the U.S. provided. Because once we moved here, like, I was introduced, like, to television, like, oh, actual yeah. toys, like, a home, yeah. and, like, the comfort was, like, really nice. And, and then do you have any older siblings any no i'm the oldest and i have a younger brother so he probably doesn't remember coming here at home. yeah he was born in the u.s actually okay yeah and then so um what has been challenging i guess about coming to the u.s so one of the most challenging things i believe um is i think my status like in pertaining to me moving here so i came here legally um uh, through a visa and everything, but um, after a certain period of time, um, I guess I just didn't renew that visa, so um, I was considered an, Ill- an illegal immigrant. And then um, in 2012, I believe, um, President Obama issued um, the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals, in which he provided temporary um, immunity or like protection against people like um, child- like individuals such as me. Um, where they were given a work permit for two years and a social security number and were able to get a driver's license and an ID and be legal here. So 
I opine and that, that's, that. Called, that's the DACA program. Yes. And that's uh, that stands for the deferred, for those of you who don't know, DACA stands for Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals. Yes. So through that, um, I was able to start working here, um, get through all those hardships that... Um, Which is, a, that's a le- that's perfectly legal status. Then. Yes, it's perfectly legal. It's mm-hmm. like, but it's a, it's a very... Um, in between kind of status like you're not a complete citizen or you're not you don't hold a green card or stuff like that it's like yeah yeah so it's a really weird situation and because of that i've had struggles trying to get into high school trying to get into college right because a lot of um schools they require you to be citizen or like show proof of residency in california for like at least a while and um back then like i didn't have that proof but you've been here since you've been five years old yes so it doesn't, I mean, I guess it doesn't really make sense to me. You've lived your, your whole life here, and it's like, there is, and it doesn't really seem like there's any clear path to citizenship. There really isn't, unless um, you marry someone who holds a, a U.S. citizenship and yeah. then apply to get a green card through them. Okay. I think that's the only way for uh, like DACA recipients to get status. Um, before um, the Trump administration, there used to be a policy where um, you would, if you leave the country and then apply for a visa from from there, you can come back as a legal citizen of the U.S. Right. And then, um, but since the Trump administration came in, they took that policy out. The ability to leave and then come back. Yes. And, Got it. Uh, through that, I, for, I forgot the technical name for it. But you would apply um, in under certain circumstances, such as like if you were going out to study abroad or uh, stuff like that, they would give you permission to leave the country and then come back in. Wow. And so um, it sounds like it's just so complicated and... I would imagine that there, there probably isn't old, there probably are not a lot of there's not a lot of help out there for people to try to figure out how to navigate this system. There really isn't, except for maybe like talking to like legal consultants who actually deal with um, DACA like um, on a more like narrow perspective. Like, yeah. if, and then um, through there, like you can like talk to them and see what opinion they have of like what you should do in terms of like applying for it yeah. or trying to get a path to citizenship so now we'll just let's let me just do a couple basic questions so since your status here is legal you yeah. can you have a driver's license yes you could drive a car yeah and you were in college mm-hmm. and you can um, have a bank account and you can basically yeah. do all these things yes that I guess just short of maybe voting that basically anybody else can how about paying taxes i can pay taxes and you can pay ta- you can get you, yeah you can get taxed and you can pay taxes and you can make money here yes what do you think um, needs to be done about that what do you think needs to be done about daca i per- i feel like we should be given a chance to become citizens or like at least have um status in the u.s because we pretty much do everything a legal citizen would be doing except for voting so there should be like a path to citizenship that doesn't really take as long as as it currently does or having that option of just like marrying someone who is a citizen. So I feel like if um, the government or and like the community or something that's like influential for DACA recipients, like if 
something could be done to help us gain that um, that status, that would be very like beneficial for like everyone who's a DACA recipient. And there's there's about like seven hundred thousand of us. Um, like, wow, seven hundred thousand. Yeah, that those are just like students, and I believe there's like one point six million people who are DACA recipients themselves. Wow. Yeah. Um, well, so let's talk a little bit about medical school. So tell me about what's different about applying to medical school. So it's the same um, procedure of like, I think, college or like high school, but in med- like certain medical schools, they require students to have, um, to be a U.S. citizen or be a permanent resident. Uh-huh. Um, and because, and they don't allow DACA recipients to be accepted into their programs. Most most don't. Most, most don't. do not, okay. Yes. So I believe there are about 35 osteopathic uh, medic- school of medicine. Oh wow, I wasn't aware that it was that high. So yeah. 35 of the DO schools. Yes. Okay. And out of those 35, I believe only six, six or seven of them accept DACA recipients. So it's oh, about oh, I see. There's six or seven of, of the, the thirty of the thirty-five. Yes. Okay. So it's about a fifth of the school that accept. Right. How about the MD schools? So MDs, they're a little bit more lenient, and um, I don't know the exact numbers for those, but okay. I know there are at least uh, fifteen MD programs that do accept DACA recipients. Yeah, I can tell you just from having been through the process of trying to get into school, it was really hard. Mm-hmm. As a, an American citizen, I can't even imagine now that you have even fewer numbers to choose from. Yeah, how, in, how incredibly competitive that must be. It will definitely be. So that's been definitely been a struggle for me to like like become like one of those like top tier people who would like try to increase my chances of getting in. Since my like application uh, number of schools are very very limited compared to like some of my friends who are applying like very broadly and so like, any school. So for those that um, are listening that would want to, let's say they wanted to improve their chances of getting into school, what kind of things Things. have you learned that are really important for getting into medical school? So um, I think during uh, your undergrad years, I feel like getting you into research with your professors is very beneficial. Um, Trying to get your name published in a few um, scientific articles is definitely like it's like a unspoken prerequisite for medical schools nowadays um so i definitely wish i did that during my undergrad years um trying to get into a lot of clubs and extracurriculars showing more initiative in the medical field is very looked upon but it's also not about quantity more so about um quality right so if you if you're showing that you're committed to a certain program for a long longer period of time that's higher looked upon than just saying like you're doing something for like a month and then going into something else. So I, um, during my undergrad years, I actually volunteered at um, a local community uh, community hospital, um, Riverside Community Hospital, for about two and a half years through this program called Cope Health Scholars, and um, pretty much I went through training for about three months. And uh, I pretty much assisted nurses with, like, direct patient care. And I feel like that was very, very, very valuable for me because I got to be in a hospital environment. I got to interact with doctors and nurses and the patients, too. And it was just very fulfilling. And especially doing it for a longer time, it 
pretty much honed my skills in with that too. So I feel like that's definitely like a good thing that people should do. That's really good advice. And um, it was going to kind of bring me to maybe a, like my next question, which was like, as far as all the things that you've done in your life that were extremely difficult, mm-hmm. do you think, is this the hardest thing that you've ever had to deal with? I think it is mainly because um, I definitely struggled like in, um, in college. Like I didn't really like, uh, pay attention to my grades as much as I should have yeah. and when I did like realize that I was like falling behind a little bit my like I it was a little bit too late for me I think yeah it, like in order to bring my GPA up to the point where I was competitive competitive enough where I was satisfied enough that like these four years didn't go to waste in a sense yeah um so getting my foot into medical school trying to apply to all these schools is definitely one of the hardest struggles that I'm going through currently or that I've been through in the past trying to get like uh, my application competitive enough trying to do all these things in a, within the shortest amount of time what has helped you kind of get through this like what do you think is, are there any things that you've done that where you kind of like felt like you've turned the corner and you're starting to overcome so right off um like whenever like after right after I graduated um I was like feeling down about like um first of all like just graduating from Riverside yeah. spending four years there like all my friends like the yeah, yeah, yeah it's like the uh it's a, the end of a beautiful time and Ex- yeah, exactly so I was just trying to like reminisce within that like trying to miss my friends and everything and then I was trying to figure out what I was going to do now uh-huh. because most of like some of my friends already got into med school so they were going to start in the summer or like in the fall and then other one like other friends were already like got into master's programs or like post-bec programs so I was there just like all right I have like three months I don't know what I'm doing this summer I still need to take my MCAT I got to study for this so getting over that was hard but I just one day I just got up I was like you know what I'm gonna call a few doctors see if I can start shadowing them I'm going to look up extracurricular things nearby where I can just, like, volunteer, spend my time, like, trying to uh, help out the community and within that, like, just expand my knowledge. So I just started doing that, like, and then um, everything just, like, fell into, fell together, like, piece by piece. Um, I started taking classes. I got um, accepted to a scribe position, but I had to turn that down because they wired a year-long commitment. Mm-hmm. And I was about to start my post-bac program in January. So and that's it, up in San Francisco. Yeah, January, so right? I'd only have to be there like six months, and they didn't really take that. But I didn't let that like get me down. I was like, you know, I got I got accepted. I can get accepted again if I apply in San Francisco. The post-bac program is, what is it called again? Um, it's in CSU East Bay, so Cal State East Bay. Okay. And it's called a pre-health um, professional application, I think. Yes. And it's, Academic enhancer, yeah. Right. So specifically designed to help people who are pre-health like health professional or pre-med. Yes. yes. Okay. Um, and I do believe they have a, a program where it's a career changer as well. So people who uh, majored in business or any other person who hasn't taken those core prerequisites for medical school can go to these post-bac programs essentially under a career changer and take all these basic biology, chemistry, physics classes and apply to med school through that. Okay. And then how do they, how well do they do once they've, if they're coming through that program, Mm -hmm. how's the success rate? 
Um, usually, um, people do really well in these programs because okay. um, they it's a very compared to like a university setting. Um, these classes are more like geared student to. Uh, they're more individualistic, mm-hmm. I think. So, like, you have more face time with the t- professors, right. um, with other students, because the classroom size are about 15 to 20 students each. So you get to know your professors really well. Yeah. You get to, like, engage with students and, like, pretty much, like, know how to study and when to study and stuff like that, too, because everyone around you is in the same boat as you. Like, they're taking the class for the first time. Yeah. So you're going through whatever you're going through with them as well. Yeah. So they turn out really well, too. And they, do, they end up doing really good in med school, too. Because, like, they, they, they finish those two pro- the program within two years, and then they go into med school, and they already have all that, like, information that they studied, like, like right there. Yeah, and it's, I think that these programs can be very advantageous, and, uh, mm-hmm. and I had actually done that myself. Um, I think it's been, how long ago was it now? Well, it's been more than a decade, but I did mm-hmm. one at Midwestern University, mm-hmm. and so it was just a one-year program, but I think the real advantage was actually, I did it at the medical school, mm-hmm. so I got to know the professors that were actually teaching at the medical school, and then I think that just by being there and then having them see me and my work ethic, that was a huge help, so there are all kinds of advantages from doing a post-bag, yeah. so that's great. So... Um, you know, one of the, the, I've sort of made the theme of this podcast, like, what do you wish they taught you in school, and, and it's funny how that kind of came about, but I had, I was always, I always find myself asking people what, what didn't they get in school, or what did they wish that they had, that they were teaching in school, and is there anything that you wish that so, you were taught at school? Uh, I feel like we don't really le- learn about, like, uh, a lot of life, like applicable life situations, like how to do your taxes, um, managing money, like what pretty much like how what goes into like buying a home, like buying cars, like insurance and all that stuff. Like yeah. people don't like we we're not really taught that. We're pretty much just taught like the basics of like if you're going into um, a computer science profession, you're learning about coding yeah. and all these different programs and stuff like that. That's useful for your profession. But you're not really a top taught like life um, skills. Yeah. So I really wish that they taught us that either in like in high school or like in college where it would have been so much more beneficial. Because I know like starting in college you have all these student loans and stuff like that where you have to take out money from the bank and then um, start paying them off once you graduate. Yeah, I can hear you about the student loans. Yeah, <laughs> it's like student loans are still haunting me. Yeah, so but you know what's funny is like most, almost every student I talk to always they said they say the same stuff like basic life skills mm-hmm. that have to do with money and finances and you know, um, and and it's 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 not just a few it's it's most of them that that say these things. Yeah. So, um, you know, I always want to give people. Um, something to sort of take away from from you know every time we do a podcast and and you know I, I was just wondering what you know all of from all the things that you've learned in your life what what kind of pearls of wisdom could you give to someone who maybe they're in DACA also and they're trying to decide whether or not they want to get into medical school or or maybe they they're not in DACA but they're just trying to get through something where they don't have any help like what kind of what what advice do you have for for people that are going through stuff like that? So, for me personally, like, 
I follow like just three simple words, um, balance, momentum, and patience. So you need a good um, standing, like a good footing uh, wherever, whatever, for whatever you're doing, for whatever um, you set out to do. So that's, you need momentum, like you need balance for that. And then momentum, like you need, you need the driving force. So you want to like do everything like with everything that you have, like give everything to that one thing. So don't have a plan B, just focus on plan A for me at least. Because once you have plan, uh, plan B, you deviate from plan A. So like you'll be like, all right, if, if, if plan A doesn't work out, I have plan B. But what if, what if plan A does work out? Like you're going to have to put everything you have into getting into plan A. So that's how med school is for me. Because for the longest time, I was struggling between deciding to be a PA and going into um, med school and becoming an MD or a DL. And um, the benefits of being a PA like really outweighed the benefits of um, being a, a MD or a DO because PA school was only like two years and um, I really I wanted a family too so it was like the better option for me too because I would be I would I would be saving a lot of money first of all I'd have less school um, and I'd have time to like start a family and get everything going but the more like I got in tune with like the hospital environment like talking to various doctors um, just in being around like what I wanted to do, I was really like my faith into being an MD or DO got restored. I was like, this is what I was meant to do. Like I, I see myself in the white coat, mm-hmm. like getting that MD degree, like doing like Doctors Without Borders someday and just doing that. So I put everything that I have like within um, after graduation, like even during like my undergrad into like going into medicine. So that's why I'm taking this like a year or two years off, trying to like do everything I can to ensure that I, I can get into a med school program. Yeah. And then patience, um, the last thing. So it's going to take time. Like um, whatever you do, you have to wait it out uh, because like the most like patient, like um, you like the most reward comes from waiting. Yeah. Um, so those are the three things that at least I follow that are really good for like for most people like uh, anyone like with DACA um, going through high school going through college like just have like patience balance and momentum in your life and you'll get through it because if there's a will there's a way that's awesome I think that's great advice yeah I think that's probably a good 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 place to to wrap it up and right. uh, it was it was awesome having you here and, and kind of explaining what what you've gone through and it's, it's super exciting to uh, to watch you um, work through this and I wish you all the best of luck and I know you're going to be super successful and you know hopefully you'll be able to to kind of give back I uh, really hope so too because <laughs> that's what I want to do at the end of the day like whatever um, the community has given to me I want to give like tenfold back to them too yeah yeah awesome well thanks again so um I think we did it. Right. Yeah. That was good.